This morning's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, 25 through 42, the story of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he desired to justify himself and said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. I cannot do a summer of story without doing at least one story that Jesus taught. He taught many stories, and this story is one of his masterpieces. Um, This and the uh, um, parable of the prodigal son, probably two of the most well-known stories. In fact, we use the term Good Samaritan on hospitals and on nonprofits and in sort of common language. There's even a law called the Good Samaritan Law. But, but as you've probably guessed, if you know me, that when we often read these stories, we, we miss a lot. And so I think this is a story where we miss a lot. So let's pay a little closer attention together this morning. Luke starts this with a conversation between Jesus and a lawyer. This man stands up to test Jesus. He asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus does what rabbis and teachers did. He answers a question with a deeper question. Two, in fact, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Now, in those days, a lawyer was the name of a person who would look at the Old Testament law and would interpret it to say, well, what does this law mean for us today? Many of those laws, even in those days, were a thousand years old. So what does it mean for today? So Jesus is asking the lawyer to do exactly what this lawyer is supposed to do. He's supposed to know what it says, and he's supposed to have his own reading of it. The lawyer answers to love God and to love neighbor. These are the greatest commandments. Jesus calls them the greatest commandments, but Jesus wasn't even the first one to do that. Most Jews would say, these are the greatest commandments. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. But now this lawyer who stood up to test Jesus looks stupid. Do you understand that? Okay, he asked the question. He knew the answer to the question. So why in the world did you ask the question in the first place? So the text says, seeking to justify himself, to make him look a little bit smarter, he says, and who is my neighbor? Now this was a huge discussion in the first century. 
Because when you went to the Old Testament, particularly the book of Leviticus, it had a lot to say about how you treat your neighbors. But sometimes the text could be read to say that your neighbor was your fellow Jew that lived down the street. Okay, sometimes it seems pretty clear that it's not just Jews, it's anybody. But there was a lot of debate about that. What about Samaritans? What about Romans who are occupying us? How do we treat everybody as neighbors or just certain people or neighbors? Huge debate around the time of Jesus around who is my neighbor. And so in response to this question, Jesus tells a story. And you know the story. You've heard it before. A man is going on a road. He's left stripped and beaten. Three people walk by, the last of which is a Samaritan. Samaritan does good where the priest and Levi do him wrong. And I could probably preach a pretty fine sermon right now about how you should all go out and be good Samaritans, right? You've heard this sermon before. You might even cry. It would be so good and so moving. The problem is that I'm not sure that simple understanding of the parable, true as it is, I'm not saying it's not true, but there's a few problems with that simple interpretation, that sort of base level interpretation of the parable. First of all, I don't think it makes any sense in terms of the conversation Jesus is having with the lawyer. Okay, the fact that I'm supposed to love people, how does that relate to the question that we've started with, which was, who is my neighbor? Right? So there's a question there. And then if Jesus just wanted to tell a good story about how you should love someone, he could have just told a story where you just somebody is nice to somebody else. Why is there a, a priest? Why is there a Levite? And if he really wanted to tell the point of the story where you should love people that are different than you, then why isn't the Samaritan the one in the ditch? That story would make a ton of sense. Jesus could say, yeah, you see, you're supposed to be nice to the Samaritans, but Jesus goes so far as to flip it so that the hero is the Samaritan. Now, whatever we're going to do with this parable, it needs to make sense of the conversation that's happening and why Jesus tells the story in a certain way. So let's look at the story a little bit more closely now. A man is traveling the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was about 17 or 18 miles but you need to understand Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level and Jericho is 825 feet below sea level. 17, 18 miles, it is way downhill. Okay, earlier this year I rode a bus up the hill to Jerusalem from Jericho and your ears pop like crazy. Okay, and the road is right next to the old road that would have been the road Jesus is talking about. So you can see it right along beside the highway now. So it's this treacherous, long path, very, very steep. And robbers would often hide in all these crevices and all these places to be able to rob you. And I tell you what, I, I don't know how you would do with an 18-mile hike uphill like that. But a lot of people would be pretty tired. Okay, as a robber, it'd be pretty easy pickings. In fact, robbers didn't typically beat anybody up. Everybody was so tired they just gave them the money and kept moving. You only got beat up if you resisted. Okay, so, so this man, we know, these robbers lie in wait, they attack him, he resists, and so they beat him. They strip him, and he's left naked and bloody on the side of the road. This is an important detail because there's one detail we don't know about this man. We know that the priest is a Jew. We know the Levite is a Jew. We know the Samaritan is a Samaritan, and we're going to talk about what that means. 
But what about this man? The text doesn't tell us if this man is a Jew or a Samaritan or a Roman. We have no idea who this man is. And if he is stripped and if he is beaten, neither do the people walking along the road. Right? If he was Jewish, he would dress Jewish and he'd have uh, tassels on his cloak maybe and he'd wear a kippah or a yarmulke. Or if he was Roman, he might have Roman clothes. But if he's stripped and if he's beaten, we have no idea. Okay, we just know there's a naked or semi-naked guy who's all bloody on the side of the road. We can't tell if this man is our neighbor or not. You understand that? We don't know. So, the first person to walk by is a priest. This priest is coming downhill, the text tells us, and that says a lot. Priests would often use, they would often be seven days on the job in the temple. And then when they were off, they would leave. And the Levite, the Levite family, uh, the sons of Levi, one of the tribes of Israel, they didn't have land uh, given to them in the Old Testament. They were considered priestly families, so they had to live in other people's lands. And we know uh, there were a number of priests that live in Jericho. So they would go up to the temple, they would spend their seven days, and then they would come back down to Jericho. So we can guess that this priest probably just finished his seven days in the temple, and now he's heading home. He walks by, sees this man in a ditch. Now why doesn't he help this man? Some have argued it's because of ceremonial cleanliness, okay? As a priest, you weren't supposed to be around injuries. You weren't supposed to be around dead bodies. If you were, you were supposed to go through a multi-day cleansing ritual at the temple. If that's the case, then this priest, who just spent seven days at the temple, is now heading back to his wife and children. If he helps the man, what's he got to do? Go back up the hill and spend a couple more days at the temple before he gets home. Now, even, even with that said... The law does say that you're supposed to help the people around you. And so this man really should have still helped. And you were supposed to take care of the injured. And you were supposed to take care of the dead. But he doesn't. Maybe it's because he can't tell if it's a Jew or not. Maybe because he's naked and he's beaten on the side of the road. Or maybe, and I think this is probably what fits the story the best, is the most simple answer. He was just in a hurry and didn't want to be bothered by helping this guy. Now, a Levite passes him by. Remember, Levites are from that same tribe that the priests are from. Although not everybody in that tribe of people could be priests. They only needed so many priests. So the Levites would often have jobs helping or assisting the priests. Okay, the Levites would also work in the temple, but they didn't do the priestly functions they cleaned up and they took care of the sacrifices when everything was over and they sort of kept people in line. And so this Levite is probably also finishing seven days at the temple. Now, why doesn't he stop? He does not have the same kind of concerns of purity that a, a, rab, a rabbi would, a priest would. But he's also probably in a hurry. He probably also doesn't know if this man is a Jew or not a Jew. And we might also wonder if he knew the rabbi or the priest was ahead of him. Maybe he knew the priest was ahead of him and he knew the priest had walked by and he either followed the priest's leadership or perhaps he didn't want to show the priest up. 
Priest should have stopped. He didn't, so now the Levite goes through. Whether the excuse is religious belief or some kind of racism or simply selfishness or being in a hurry, we can't quite know. But we do know that there are other stories like this in Jesus' day. Very often they were stories that critiqued the religious authority of the day. And so there were many, many stories that, that worked a lot like jokes, okay? So a rabbi, a Levite, and a farmer walk into a road, okay? And uh, normally the, the priest would not be true to the law, and then the Levite would not be true to the law. And then you would expect with all these other stories that the third person would be a commoner. Okay, this would be a shepherd, it would be a farmer, it would be just Joe from down the street. And, and it was always a critique to say, ah, the, the priests weren't good and the Levite wasn't good, but the farmer followed the law, be like the farmer. Okay, so there were lots of stories like this. Jesus could have easily told the story like this. And in fact, this lawyer probably would have loved it. I mean, if he could have, he's, he's trying to test, he's trying to tap, tra trap Jesus. If Jesus tells a story that's very anti the religious authority of his day, he's got him, right? Now I can go tell all the priests how Jesus told this story about him. But Jesus tells the story very differently. A Samaritan walks by. He has compassion, tends to the man's mood, uh, wounds, takes him to an inn and even pays for a week or two of care, promising to come back and pay more if necessary. Okay, there's no insurance in these days, right? It's not even hospitals. You have to drop them off at an inn and take care of the need. It's hard for us to understand the hatred of Samaritans today. Uh, you can find this in places around the world. You can find it in uh, Sudan, South Sudan, where you have people that are very closely kin to you that you hate and disagree with. Sometimes the worst enemies are the ones that are close to you. The Samaritans were close. Okay, when a lot of Israel got deported in the Babylonian and Assyrian Empire, they got what's called exile. Israel also became a site for exile, and that particular area was called Samaria. And so what the Babylonians and the uh, Assyrians did was they sent people from other nations to Israel, and they were forced to marry and become part of the community there. Okay, so all these Jews get sent into exile. They come back, and what do they find? They find certain people that weren't sent into exile and instead were forced to marry the enemy. Okay? So they're relatives and enemies. Okay? Those are the worst kinds. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans would not, they weren't allowed in the temple, so they worshiped on their own hill. They had their own priests. They believed in the first five books of the Bible. But they wouldn't believe in the other books. They thought the other ones were all corrupt. They had their own sacrifices. They were hated. To have a good Samaritan is an oxymoron. Okay, the people who heard this story, they've never heard of a good Samaritan. They're all bad. They can't, any of them, can, they can't be good. They are all bad. It's a contradictory term. Think the good criminal. The good murderer the good human trafficker. That's the view that Samaritans were. Those were, because they, they were relatives of the people who had destroyed the temple, who had killed many of the Jews and sent them off to live in other lands. And they were the relatives of those people. But this Samaritan acts differently. He has compassion. He spends his own money, uh, several days worth of wages, a couple hundred dollars at least. 
uh, when he puts oil on, oil would have helped be an ointment and would have draw, uh, uh, provided moisture to wounds that would have dried in the desert. Oil would have, uh, uh, wine would have helped clean the wounds. It also would have helped with the pain. Puts him on his own donkey, walks him down into Jericho. And we sort of miss this. The risk that this Samaritan would take to go into a Jewish town with a beaten Jewish man on his own donkey. Okay, this is a society where you had community retribution. Okay, what's the assumption everybody's going to make? You beat that man. In the society, this man is risking being beaten and being stoned by the community at Jericho to bring him in. Jesus, having told this story, comes back to the lawyer with his question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man responds... The one who showed mercy. It's telling that he doesn't say the Samaritan. It's telling that he won't even acknowledge in his voice that it was the Samaritan that was the good guy. Who was the good guy? The one who showed mercy. He won't say the Samaritan. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Notice that Jesus has changed the man's question. What was the man's question? Who is my neighbor? What does Jesus ask him? Which one was the neighbor? Which one was the neighbor? In other words, the lawyer is asking the wrong question. He wants to know, who do I have to be good to? Okay, who's the neighbor that I'm supposed to care about? Who can I not care about? Jesus wants to ask him a deeper question of what it means to be a good neighbor. Because good neighbors don't care who their neighbor is. Good neighbors don't care who it is and what nationality and what background and whether they're going to they're take advantage or whether they're going to... Good Samaritans, good neighbors don't care about those things. Because being a good neighbor and loving others doesn't care about categories. Doesn't care about preferences. Neither does our relationship with God, right? Think about it. The lawyer's question is wrong from the beginning. What was his first question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you do for an inheritance? An inheritance is by definition something you can't do anything for. It's a gift that happens when the person that you're getting it from dies. You can't do anything to inheritance, to, to, to get an inheritance. His system is wrong. And because he doesn't understand grace, he cannot fully understand love. He wants categories. Who's in, who's out? Who is my neighbor? Where is the line? But when Jesus not only puts a Samaritan in the story, but makes the Samaritan the hero, he blows this man's thinking out of the water. This is way bigger than just be a good Samaritan. This is an explosion in our thinking. That love is so much bigger and so much harder and so much more personable than we would like it to be sometimes. What does it mean to follow God? To love your enemies? To be in community? And I'm convinced the part of the story that this, this man, this lawyer, would have had the most trouble with is the idea of receiving help from a Samaritan. 
If it was you on the side of the road, would you accept help? How many of us, I like to be the helper. I do not like to receive help. I don't, like, I don't want to receive help. I don't want to be in need of anybody. And how many of you have those people in your life, I would never accept help from that person. I would rather die, leave me on the side of the road, than me be put in any debt to that person. See, by telling the story this way, Jesus is taking this poor lawyer's categories and views of life and views of the world and views of God, and he is blowing them up. And it's hard to love that kind of, that kind of way. It's dirty to get down on the side of the road and actually help someone. It costs a lot to give up a couple of denarii, a couple hundred dollars to have somebody. You might be abused. You might be attacked yourself. But that's the kind of self-sacrificing love that Jesus has for us. And that's the kind of self-sacrificing love that we are called to in this story. And I want to be, I want to be careful here. But sometimes what we decide to do is we decide to love a whole bunch of people. We decide to love groups as a way to avoid loving our actual neighbor, the person that's in need. I've been thinking about this a lot with all these uh, recent shootings. We've had a number in our own community, let alone around the world. And the, the shame that it's almost not news anymore. It's just so normal for people to shoot each other. I, and then there's all these debates, right? And I don't, that's why I'm being ginger. I don't know where you are politically on all this stuff. You know, but if only, people start saying, if only we had more gun control, if only we had more laws, if only we had more guns, if only we had more, if only we had all these laws that could help us fix these problems. Maybe some of those things can help, and maybe if we need to consider some of those things or mental health reform or school reform. I mean, sure, we should try what we should try, right? And we should look closely at things that could help. But I think the likely difference in this world is not going to be some law. It's not going to be some policy. It's going to be, we're going to, you know when we're not going to have shootings anymore? When everybody feels like they are known and loved by their neighbors. When everybody has the kind of personal relationships where they are known and loved by somebody else, that is the only hope that I can see. But do you understand how much harder that is? Who are your neighbors? What are their names? What relationships are you in? That person you always see at the grocery store, they always seem to be on your same schedule for groceries. What is their name? You know how dirty and hard and sacrificial it is to actually be that kind of a loving neighbor. It's much easier to create policy. But this story reminds us that law cannot do what love can do. In fact, sometimes our laws, our rules, our beliefs, our categories get in the way of love. Now this is a story I really wish Jesus had actually explained he does not explain. Jesus doesn't tell you what the parable is about. In fact, we don't even know what the lawyer does from here. Does he walk off? Does he believe? We're not even told. And whenever we're not told someone's response in the Bible, I feel like it's an invitation for us to say, how will you respond to this story? 
And I wish I could take the parable of the, prodigal, or the parable of the Good Samaritan and just wrap it up, put a nice little bow on it, and tell you what the meaning is. Maybe that's why so many of our interpretations of this parable are so simple. But I don't think that's true to the material. I don't think that's true to what Jesus does. I think parables are bombs for your thinking. And for me to oversimplify it is going to do a disservice to what Jesus is trying to do. So my hope is that this story haunts you. That this week you're thinking about it and you're wondering about it and you're going to see somebody who's in need and you're going to think, oh, is this my neighbor? But I will say this, that Jesus loved you when you were in a ditch. That he sacrificed greatly even his own life to give you an inheritance. And you probably should understand that that radical truth of the love and grace of Jesus Christ is going to continue to keep blowing up your thinking and your categories. Expect it. Expect that the kind of love that Jesus calls you and I to and the kind of neighbor that Jesus calls you and I to be may be costly, radical, and category-breaking. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your grace for us. Teach us to be good neighbors. Teach us to love those who are different. Teach us to get dirty and messy and sacrifice to be in relationship with other people. May our church be an inn where people who are broken can come and find healing and wholeness. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.